I want to ask you to turn to John chapter 12, please, if you would flip over there, John chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise a hand and Brian will give you a King James Bible to follow along with and keep if you don't own one. And uh, just raise a hand. If not, just grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. And like I said, I speak way too fast, so follow along if you can. And if not, you know, you could uh, try to flip with me. Uh, but uh, we're good, right, John? A couple of weeks ago, um, not this last Saturday, but the Saturday before, we were on the corner doing public ministry on 36 and Pool, pretty busy corner over there. And uh, Brian was on one corner, and I think Josh was over there. And I watched this man get out of his car and start like making a beeline towards Brian. So I'm like, here we go. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like, let's go. And I'm ready to drop my sign and, you know, run across the street and, you know, pick up somebody's broken tooth or something like that. But uh, he was actually setting up campaign signs all around us. It was a hot corner, so he kind of got out of his truck and he ran over right to the corner where like Brian was, and he starts like sticking, you know, his uh, his campaign signs in the ground all around us. And while we were standing there holding up the scriptures, this man was trying to make his candidate famous, and uh, he must have believed enough in this person to think his candidate should govern New Jersey. Now, brethren, it's been said, I didn't make it up, but it's been said that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have been left here to make God famous. That's why we're here, to make God famous. So I want you to think about something today. Do your lips and your life glorify God? Do they praise Him? Do they exalt Him? Do they adore Him? Do they magnify Him? It has nothing to do with being a preacher. It just means being somebody that's thankful that you know God. The Bible says, God said, you want to glory in something? Glory in this, that you know me. Yeah. And in John chapter 12, that's where we are. I want you to think about it. Like that campaign guy, do you believe in your God enough to think that his Christ should run the world. Amen. Now in John chapter 12, Jesus says in verse 27, now, my, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I want you to see that Jesus Christ is troubled in verse 27. He's troubled about his pending death. He's troubled about being separated from his father. He's troubled about losing fellowship with his father. He's troubled about sin being laid upon his sinless brow. And you and I are going to go through trouble. But can you see Jesus Christ's desire? Even though his soul was troubled, in verse 28 he says, Father, glorify thy name. Even though he was troubled, he wanted to glorify God. Jesus Christ wanted to make God famous. Let me ask you a question. Are you saved here today? That was a little weak. This side was a little louder than this side. There's more on this side than this side, so you're going to have to be extra loud over here, okay? Ready? Are you saved? All right, that's it. You got to use your big street preacher voice. That's it. Cup the hand and lift up your voice. There it is. You know what? So if you're saved, I just set you up. Because if you're saved, that spirit of Christ lives inside of you, the Bible tells us. And like Jesus Christ, you will have trouble. 
Your soul may get troubled. You may feel vexed. But do you want to glorify God? Do you want to make God famous? Because that Savior that went through trouble and still wanted to glorify God lives inside of you. And he lives inside of you. You know what? That man on the inside saying, yes. I want to make God famous. I want to glorify God. I want to bring some attention to him in this little life I got. So we're going to talk about glorifying God today, how Jesus Christ is an example and what we could be. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you. Lord, if anybody is here that doesn't know you, I pray that they might be drawn to the Savior. Father, I pray you might strengthen your saints, encourage your saints, edify your saints, provoke your saints. Father, I don't want to play church, Lord. This is not, we're not playing here, Lord. I don't, there's five or 50 or 500. You're the same God. It's the same gospel. It's the same book. It's the same truth, Lord. I just pray, Lord, you'd get glory today out of all we say and do, and now we deal with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay right there in John 12, 28. Let me show you the two parts of this verse that I'm going to try to break down as maybe the two points of our lesson today. John 12, 28. Jesus says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, that's one, and will glorify it again, that's two. So I want to say, number one, when Jesus Christ came the first time, he glorified God. That's what he was here for. You see verse 28, when Jesus Christ asks the Father to glorify his name, the Father says, I've glorified it already. When did he do that? What was he talking about? He says, I have glorified it. Now I'm going to give you an English lesson. That's right, because I'm an English teacher. And I'm going to give you an English lesson. You better take some notes, right? That verb that he's using there, have glorified, in the English, we're only staying in the English here, don't get nervous, but that verb is what we call the present perfect tense. And when you use the present perfect tense, You're signifying an action that began in the past and continues up into the present. God says, I have glorified it. Something began in the past and was continuing right up into that moment when he was talking to his son from heaven. It's like I could say this. I have worked, somewhat begrudgingly, I have worked for the Department of Education for 20 years, right? It began in the past, September 2001, and it continues now to the present. God is saying to his son, I have both glorified it because God's name was glorified when Jesus Christ came to earth and it was continued to be glorified right up into that moment when Jesus Christ said, Father, glorify thy name. Do you see that? Jesus Christ coming to earth the first time brought glory to God. I'm going to show you. Go to Luke chapter 2 before my head just explodes right off my body. Right? You t- I start talking about present perfect, man. And if I get into the unconditional tenses, watch me go. You know. But anyway, go to Luke chapter 2. Let me show you at his birth. Let me show you how even at his birth, Jesus Christ started bringing glory to his Father, started glorifying God's name. Look at that in Luke chapter 2, famous Christmas verses. Verse 8, Luke 2, 8. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And watch it now. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Right there at his birth, the night he came to earth, Jesus Christ began to glorify God's name. That's what they started declaring when Jesus Christ showed up. They started declaring, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. What was all the hoopla about? Jesus Christ had come to earth. God, it was manifest in the flesh. And there was the sinless son of God lying in a manger next to animals, condescending to men of low estate and all of heaven was announcing it's starting it's starting God's glory is coming to earth and you're all going to be able to see it right there it started at his birth I'll go to Matthew chapter 15 let me show you how about his life that little baby didn't stay a baby I know you might put him as a little plastic version of him on your lawn but you know what he grew up to be a man that had hands and feet and eyes and ears and he reached to touch the world around him And then Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. Let's just brag on Jesus a little bit here today. Let's just enjoy him a little bit. Matthew 15, verse 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. In so much that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. You see that during his earthly ministry, everything Jesus Christ did glorified God. They saw what Jesus was doing, and they said, glory to God, praise God, glory to God, praise God. That's what his life reaped. Glory to God. And he only had three and a half years. He wasn't healing people at the age of 20. He wasn't healing people at the age of 17. The Bible only records those three and a half years of public ministry when he stepped out on the stage and on those little three and a half years, he just used them and spent them up to glorify God and glorify his name. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. How about at the end of his life? John chapter 13. John chapter 13, look at verse 31. Now, this is that last supper. We talked about it a little bit last week when we took the Lord's table. Judas has betrayed him. He's left to go betray him to the Pharisees and Sadducees in John 13, 31. And the Bible says, therefore, when he was gone out, meaning Judas, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Can I tell you, at the end of his life, Jesus Christ kept glorifying God? Even when he was betrayed, 
even when the one that had lifted up his heel against him and sat at the very table where they fed, when one of his supposed friends turned against him, Jesus Christ didn't quit. Jesus Christ didn't throw in the towel. He didn't close up his Bible and say, oh, this person backstabbed me. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. You know, the Bible says in that hour when he was betrayed, he kept glorifying God and God the Father kept getting glory out of his son because he didn't quit. Amen? He didn't quit. They'll go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. How about in his death? How about at his actual moment of death? Let's look at Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. Look at verse 46. Here's your Savior dying as a man on the cross there. Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion, that's the soldier, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Wow. That means when tasting a death he didn't deserve, the Lord Jesus Christ was still glorifying God. His death was so impressive that this pagan, heathen executioner stepped back and said, praise the Lord. Glory to God. When people up there must have been screaming and cursing and calling for their mama and calling down thunder and lightning on these Roman pigs that were killing them and probably gnashing in their teeth like the thieves next to them. And he died up there as a lamb to the slaughter and said things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And at that hour just gave up the ghost and then expired like such an amazing feat that this man had never seen. He said, glory to God. Even in death. That's right, what a Savior. You say, Pat, you're getting excited. We're talking about Jesus Christ, man. I watch a three-pointer from the corner. I get pretty lit up. And I say, wow, it was a great shot. How about the one that took the death shot and rose again? You don't think that's somebody to shout about? You don't think that's somebody to get excited about, to clap about, to cheer about, to pray about, to weep about, to talk about? Who else are you going to talk about? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, altogether lovely. Wake up out of your stupor, man. I know it's raining, but Jesus Christ is the one that sent the rain. Thank him for it and praise God. How about John 17? I'm not mad at you. I'm just mad at myself because this, this message has been tearing me up for a few days. And I'm thinking to myself, how much do I glorify God every day? How much does my life bring him honor and glory and praise and adoration. Look at John chapter 17. Here's Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer, his last moments with his disciples in that upper room. And he prays this prayer. And he says in John 17, this is actually the Lord's prayer. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Watch what Jesus says. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. You say, how do I know that Jesus Christ's first coming was the first time that God's name was really glorified in the earth in Christ? Because Jesus said it. 
He came to the end of his life. He knows he's about to be betrayed. And he looks up where everybody's listening. And he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. Jesus Christ, at the end of his life, could look God square in the face and say, God, I lived to make you famous. I did everything I could to point people to you, to lift up your name, to praise your name, to exalt your name, to worship your name, to get others to consider your name. I wonder, is that you? Could you come to the end of your life and say, Lord, I did everything I could to make you famous. Now, if you can't say amen, doesn't something in you at least want to? I know we've all fall short of the glory of God. I get that. But isn't there, if you're saved, something on the inside that appreciates what Jesus did enough to say, Lord, I may not always go the right direction, but I'd like to. I'm trying to. I'm endeavoring to. I'm reaching out to. I I really want to, God. I hope that's you today. I hope that's you. How How about with your birth? Now, I don't mean when you were born into this world. But how about when you were born into God's family? Jesus Christ was glorifying God from his birth. I wonder, have you sought to bring God glory since you've been born again? You know, when you got saved, you got a spiritual birth. You know what that spiritual birth was supposed to do? It was supposed to bring glory to God in the highest. It was supposed to be the start of a life that can now magnify Christ, glorify God, honor the one that called you out of darkness. How are you doing since you've been born again? How about with your life? Are you doing anything with your little life to magnify God? Jesus seemed to do everything with his life to magnify God. Are you doing anything to magnify God? I mean, we spend minutes like they're candy. We're like a guy on the edge of a boat throwing rubies into the ocean the way we waste time and just throw it away on nothing. And God's like, could I get a little bit of that to glorify me? Could I get some of that before you throw it all overboard? Could you hold back some of that treasure? Right, that's why they call now the present. Could you not throw all of the present overboard and just use a little bit of it to kind of praise me, worship me, give a little bit back to me? I don't know. You know what D.L. Moody said? D.L. Moody was a great preacher. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. Wow. Doesn't that just like whet your spiritual appetite? Doesn't something deep down inside of you go, yeah, I'd like to be that man? Or does the boat allure you so much? (laughs) You know, does the vacation pop up in your head like, oh, am I going to lose that? No, you don't have to lose that. You'll enjoy it twice as much. But you know what? Is there something inside of you going, yeah, I'd like to be that man? I'd like to pay God back a little bit. I'd like to honor him with my little 10 years or 20 years. Jesus only had three and a half. He turned the world upside down. It's 2022 from what? From when Jesus Christ literally changed the face of history. What could you do with your 10 years of being saved, your five years since you've been saved, your 20 years, your 30 years, your 40 years? Why don't you take it and just throw it all to Jesus and let him get a little glory out of you. How about in bad times? Jesus Christ got betrayed and he kept on keeping on. How about you, man? Man, bad times. Nothing messes a Christian up like bad times. I think the Lord purposely lets some bad times into a Christian's life to see how they play it. 
Because sometimes, because I'm telling you, man, that's how God is. God's not asleep. It's not like going to sleep. It's like, oh my goodness, what happened to you while I was sleeping? No, it's not like that. God knows what he's doing and he doesn't want to hurt you, but he might let a little thing come in to ruffle your feathers to see, are you going to get so mad that you're going to walk out on me now because you think I did that to you? No, he's going to let some things into your life to see, will that draw you closer or will that drive you further? That's how God is. That's what God's doing. So do you continue living for the Lord's glory despite disappointment? Jesus did. How about you? Ooh, it's getting quieter than a turkey farm on Thanksgiving right here. I, you know, that's I stole that one from, right? How about in death? That's a Mel Sabakaism right there. It works really good, though. And none of, most of you don't know him, so I could steal it, right? You know, death. How about in death? Are you willing to die to yourself? that somebody else might see Christ in you. In death, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he so impressed that centurion, he glorified God. I wonder as you put yourself to death and die to your fleshly desires and start living to God, can somebody look at you and say, wow, that's a real Christian right there. Wow, that's pretty, wow. Your God must be something else for you to live like that and do that and think that and say that. Listen, folks, all I'm saying is I can't see anybody's heart. I got no x-ray supernatural spiritual vision. But if you profess to know Jesus Christ and if the spirit of that Jesus Christ lives inside of you, that Savior who lives inside of you wants to glorify God. He glorified him on the earth, and now he lives inside of you. Guess what he wants you to do with your life? Glorify his Father. Glorify God's name. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me show you a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll get to the really good stuff in a little bit. This beginning is going to sting a little bit. The latter part's just going to make us do a little bit of shouting. 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 18. And I don't, I don't apologize for shouting and getting excited. Right? People get excited about all kinds of stuff. You know? And this like soft-laced cupcake era that can't take anything straight or true is like so triggered and upset by truth. Sorry, we're going to still throw it right down the plate. <laughs> And I hope you can take it. We love you to death. We'll be as kind as we can. But you know what? When Israel was in apostasy, they said, speak not us unto us right things. Prophesy unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. And we want to hold forth the word of life. We want to tell the truth because God is the one we're doing it for. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, I'm just going to show you this. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. Right? We're not preaching to you going, well, maybe God will help you and maybe God is real. And, you know, you know, you know, it's just that maybe it could be your truth and maybe it'll work for you. And, you know, no, we're not saying that. He says, our word toward you was not yay and nay, not yes and no. Is Jesus Christ the son of God? Well, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it really depends. Well, this guy says that. No, no, no. Jesus Christ is the son of God. We're not telling you yes and no. You know, is Jesus the way to heaven? Well, you know, the, the Western civilizations, like, they, they've always perceived it that way. And those are the traditions that have been handed down through the fathers. But, you know, I know there's many other ideas out there. And in this, in this world of, like, multi blah, 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 yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We're not giving you, like, yay and nay, meh, meh, meh. No, we're telling you as best we can the truth. And it says there in verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. 
for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, help me out, amen, unto the glory of God by us. You see that? By us. God left you here to glorify Him. God gave you those promises so you do something with them and bring glory to God by us. He didn't send an angel. I think He should have. He didn't write it in the clouds. It might have, I don't know. He decided to take little houses of clay and put Himself inside them and give you the promises of God. Why? So you could bring glory to God. That's why you're here. You've been here, left here, to make God famous. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me show you something else. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 5. Another verse here. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. That's a reference to Genesis 1. The God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. That God that healed the cosmos. That God that fixed everything the devil messed up in the beginning. That God, the Bible says, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I called you out of darkness so you could shine with my marvelous light down here. So somebody can look at your face and see the face of Christ. So somebody can look at your life and see the light of God. So somebody can learn something about you and find out something about the God that you love and serve and represent. Listen. When a plastic surgeon transforms your face, guess what? Your new look magnifies his work. And when the great physician transforms your life, your new walk is supposed to glorify God. It's supposed to bring him glory. Look what God did in my life. Look what God is doing in my life. Look what God did to you and your family. Look what God is doing for you with those problems. It's meant to bring glory to God. It's meant to make God famous. Amen? You know, the Apostle Paul was a real devil before he got saved. He was a killer. He was a, a, an assassin. He was a marauder of the churches. He would go into the churches, drag people out to prison, hail men and women to prison. He held the coats while they stoned Stephen. You know what happened to Saul? He got knocked off his horse and he got saved. Right? That's a Bible word. He got saved, the Bible says. He got saved. And then he started living different and talking different and behaving different and doing different stuff with his life. And in Galatians chapter 1, he talked about, when I was in the Jews' religion, I profited myself. It hooked me up. I got the best seats at the restaurants. I got tickets to the ball game. I got the finest everything because I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And then I counted that all as dung. And then people saw me go into the churches as a servant of God. You know what he says at the end of Galatians 1, and they glorified God in me. They saw the change in Paul, and they didn't say, oh, wow, Paul. They said, oh, wow, God, because only God could do that. Only God could take somebody whose life was going this way and point it and start making it go this way. Could take the one that was trying to wipe Christianity off the face of the map and then make him the greatest Christian the world has probably ever known. You don't glorify Paul for that. You say glory to God. That's what they started saying. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. That's why we're here, folks. 
We are here to make God famous. We are here to glorify God. Ephesians 1, I'll show you real quick here a couple of things. Ephesians 1, verse 12. See this? Ephesians 1, 12. We're going to look at a bunch of verses here at First Bible Church. Ephesians 1, 12. The Bible says, we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. That's saying your salvation is meant to glorify God. If you've trusted in Christ to be the payment of your sins, can I get a loud amen? amen? Okay, then you're supposed to be glorifying God. That's what that verse says. You were saved to glorify God. Why? Because you couldn't save yourself. You couldn't put yourself on the cross. You get one nail, two nail. How do you get that last nail, right? You have, right? Jesus Christ had to die on the cross because he was sinless and he was the only way to get eternal life. You would only die for your own sins. Go to Ephesians chapter three. Hey, has anybody ever gotten a prayer answered since they've been saved? Amen. amen. Can I get a louder amen on that if that's you? Amen, amen. Prayer is an amazing thing, right? Prayer is a great Great blessing, very overlooked blessing, man. It's like the lifeblood of the Christian life. I think Spurgeon said it was as natural as breathing to a Christian, right? He said, what's more important, uh, uh, reading the Bible or praying? And Spurgeon said one time, well, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? <laughs> you know, those two things right there are like the lifeblood of your Christian life. The Bible going in and prayer going out. And you know what? In Ephesians 3.20, the Lord talks about those prayers he's answered for you. He says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. As a side note, that says God gets the glory in here. He doesn't get the glory because you wanted to sleep in and go take a walk right? I'll just praise God in nature. No, he says, I get my glory in the church by Christ Jesus. And all those prayers he answered, right? All those things he's done beyond your imagination, right? Unto him that does those things exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, your supplications that you made to God, your prayers for husbands and wives and children and friends and relatives and strangers and missionaries in India and people, and those things that God has done beyond comprehension, beyond explanation, because God is the one that did it. You know what those are supposed to do? They're supposed to glorify God. Why? Because you can't help yourself. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth, David said. How about Philippians chapter 1? And the Adamic nature does not want to glorify God. Your flesh wants something about you right now. Tell me about me, Pat, and the Bible is about him. And in Philippians 1 verse 9, let me give you one more. Look at Philippians 1 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Philippians 1, 9. Verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. You know what he's saying there? God starts working in your life. And he's working in your life. And you know what starts happening? You start bearing fruit. Your mouth starts to change. 
your attitude starts to change. Your habits start to change. Your relationship starts to change. Your outlook starts to change. The way you spend your resources, your time, your talent starts to change. Your affection starts to change. Your kindness starts to change. Like all this stuff starts changing. That's fruit of the Spirit, right? Love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness and goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. All those character qualities of Christ start showing up in you. Why? Verse 11, unto the praise and glory of God. Your success as a Christian is supposed to glorify God. Why? Because you can't bear any fruit yourself. You think that was you working that out? You think that was you cleaning your life up? You thought that was you because you're such a special person that put that halo above your head? No, that was God praying inside of you and working inside of you that you might be filled with all the fullness of God and bring forth those fruits of righteousness. He says it right there. Hey, when you're walking through an apple orchard, you don't praise the fruit. You glory in the tree. Say, wow, look what produced this. Look at these trees, man. You don't say, well, look at this fruit on the floor. Yeah, you like the fruit, but the fruit is supposed to point you to the root. And man, when people see things in your life and you see stuff in your own life and somebody hasn't bumped into you for six months and then they bump into you again, they say, what's different about you? What's up with you, man? You're a little different now. You're not like, you know, the same way. Well, there's your open door. I just want an open door. That's God. Beep, beep, beep. Backing up the truck, opening up the bay doors. Hey, what's different about you? Well, nothing. <laughs> what do you mean? No, I, I'm a Christian. I got saved, right? That's, that's supposed to bring glory to God, man. And the Son of God's first time on earth was meant to glorify God. Jesus Christ wasn't there to glorify himself. He wanted the world to see God. I know he was God manifest in the flesh. Thank you for the treatise on the deity of Christ. I got that. But as a man, he wanted the world to point to God. That's why he didn't go around sounding a trumpet and saying, I'm God, look at me, I'm God. No, he came as a servant. He was God, he humbled himself. And hey, if you're following him, ready for the parallel? The sons of God's first time on earth, and you're a son of God by faith in Jesus Christ, your time on earth is supposed to glorify God. It isn't supposed to be about you now. It's supposed to be about him now. Because, I mean, isn't he worth it? I mean, isn't he worth the attention and the affection and the praise we heap on him and the fingers we try to point towards him? Isn't he worth it? Don't die on me now. Isn't he worth it? I mean, I'm not talking about a theology, people. I'm talking about, a, about God. I'm talking about a person that I spoke to this morning, that spoke to me this morning. I'm not talking about like my wife, when I talk about when I brag on my wife, it's not like a concept, right? This wonderful concept of wife is just an amazing concept. I revel in the, in the creed of wife that I have, you know? No, that's a person that I embrace and that loves me and talks to me. You know what God is to me and should be to you? A person. A real being that communes with you, that helps you and comforts you and embraces you and speaks with you and communes with you. We're going to brag on him. We're going to praise him. You know, my son is a really great doctor over there at Sloan Kettering. His name is Dr. Nirav Shukla. 
Don't ask me how to spell it, right? And I got no problem making Dr. Shukla famous. I got no problem telling everybody who my son's doctor is. He's done right by my son. He's a good man. He's got a wonderful bedside manner. My son likes him. I really appreciate him. I got no problem bragging on him. How about making God famous? How about talking him up a little bit, bragging about him a little bit, letting your life show some of his light? That's what the Savior did. I go to Romans chapter 1. Let's just finish this point real quick in Romans 1. Like I said before, I explode. Romans 1. I got to find that distinguished knob and just like, you know, like where I could talk all pious at you and look like a man of the cloth, whatever that means. Oh. That stuff just makes me sick. It really does. I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to out myself right now. But I am purposely loud and spit and crude just to fly in the face of all that slick, refined religion out there. Because I could talk that way. I've got the degrees. I could talk that way. But that stuff is a nauseating stench in the nostrils of God. That Sadducee, Pharisee, let's use big words and fair speeches. God, you know what God is right now? God's right down next to you, sitting next to you at the table, trying to pass the bread along so you could feed. That's where God is right now. God was a friend of publicans and sinners. I love him for that. Romans chapter one. You know what God did because he wanted us to make him famous? God actually gave the world his son. God gave the world his very best. But you know what the world seems to be doing? The world seems to be hell-bent on getting rid of God. And sometimes we get caught in that current. Look at Romans one. Let me show you the three downward steps of the world trying to get rid of God. You know what the world did first in Romans one twenty one? First thing did was man rejected God. It's right there, Romans one twenty one, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Men rejected God because they didn't want God. Oh, they like God bless America. They like God bless you when you sneeze. But they didn't want to glorify him as God, 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 God. They didn't want to be subject to a holy, righteous God that knows everything you think, do, smell, feel, and are going to do today and did yesterday and will do tomorrow. They didn't want to be subject to that. So you know what we've done? We got them out of school. We want them out of our courts. Get them off the money. Maybe we should kick them out of the pledge. Let's just get rid of God. Man rejected God. Why? Because they didn't want to give God the glory that he rightfully deserved. And in the tribulation, even when they're writhing in all those plagues, the Bible says they repented not to give God the glory. Some of those people will go through locusts and boils and all that stuff in the tribulation because the wicked heart of man does not want to bow the knee and be subject to that God and give him the glory they want to be king. Look at verse 23. Let's keep going down the steps. So the first thing they do is they rejected God. Step down, 23. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Number one they did was they rejected God. Number two, man replaced God. So you know what? We're going to put our ideas in there. We'll put our thoughts in there. You know what happened when man replaced God? You see it right there in verse 23. They changed the glory of God into an image made like to corruptible man and then birds and then beasts, and then creeping things. 
You know what direction they went after they replaced God? Down. They started with God, and they ended up creeping like a thing on the floor. That's the opposite of evolution. That's the opposite of progress. Can I just warn you? All these people talking progress are going to drag civilization to hell. Right? All these progressives with all these crazy ideas about stuff, you better hold on to your wallet and back away and grab your Bible with both hands because that's exactly what happened right there. You want to replace God's truth, God's ways, God's values, you're going to end up like a beast on the floor. That's what it says right there. You know, my son Christian, we were talking about this in the car yesterday, and he said something to this effect. He was like, Daddy, all these people are like supposed to be so smart. He's like, don't they know things get worse without God? <laughs> I mean, he just asked it very innocently, and I said, yeah, I know, son. And i got to ask you now, how can objective observers say anything is better since we've replaced God? On what metric? Where can you say things have gotten better? Well, we can microwave Hot Pockets faster. I mean, that's basically it, right? We've done things faster, but there's been no progress. It's just been a downward slide, and we're just going right back to the jungle, people. We're turning back into beasts. They're going to kill each other and devour each other like creeping things. You know, many of you remember uh, April 20th, 1999, was the Columbine shooting in Columbine uh, at the school in Colorado. I remember being a coach of a high school the year after a few years after I graduated, and them talking about it. And uh, Colin, the first one of the first people to die in Columbine was Rachel Scott. Rachel Scott was a believer, and Rachel Scott got shot in the back and in the leg. And they, Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold left her for dead. Came back, supposedly went up to her and said, "You believe in your God now?" And she said, "You know I do." And he shot her in the head and said, "Then go be with him." Shot her in the head, and that's Rachel Scott. Right? She wasn't ashamed to, to testify in that moment. And you know what? Her father, about a month or so later, Daryl Scott, was speaking in front of a Judiciary Committee of Congress. And I think what he said hits the nail on the proverbial head. Because he says the reason why everything is going down like this is not because of your laws. It's because of your lack of God. You've replaced God, and now you're reaping what you've sown. He says to these people on this committee, he says, I am here today to declare that Columbine was not just a tragedy. It was a spiritual event that should be forcing us to look at where the real blame lies. Much of the blame lies here in this room. Much of the blame lies behind the pointing fingers of the accusers themselves. I wrote a poem, he said, just four nights ago that expresses my feelings best. And he writes, your laws ignore our deepest needs. Your words are empty air. You've stripped away our heritage. You've outlawed simple prayer. Now gunshots fill our classrooms and precious children die. You seek for answers everywhere and ask the question why. You regulate restrictive laws through legislative creed, and yet you fail to understand that God is what we need. Amen? God is what we need. And when you replace God, you're going to pay a price. You're going to see things go down. Look at Romans 125. Let me show you the bottom of this this, this, uh, pinnacle here as they hit the bottom. They reject God. They replace God. And then in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know what they did? Man now reviles God. 
thinks so little of God that he just wants to worship himself. You know what people do today? They worship themselves. They worship themselves. You know what we got today? I hate to say it. I'm sad to say it. You know what our world is largely made up of? A lot of narcissists. A lot of YouTubers and TikTokers. Like these are the people that are the most famous people in our world right now. People that just live on people looking at me, watching me. That's a scary state of affairs. Brethren, do you know God? Oh, come on, help me. Do you know God? If you know Jesus Christ, you should be looking to glorify God, not getting caught in that downward current of trying to get rid of God. We should be trying to make him famous. We should be going the opposite direction. We should be doing everything in our power to try to lift him up. Hey, Romans 121 says man rejected God. Do you want God or you are rejecting him? He said, no, I believe in God. Yeah, but are you kicking him out of your marriage? Kicking him out of your decision-making Kicking them out of your thought processes. Kicking them out of your wardrobe. Kicking them out of your Spotify. And you just kick God about everything except this little thing called church. You're just, you're a practical atheist then. That's just what they were. You're a practical, you wouldn't profess to be an atheist, but you're a practical atheist. Then it says in 23 that they replaced God. Are you replacing God with your own ideas? Hey, the Bible tells you how to do pretty much everything you need to do in life. Just stick with the program. Because if you plug your program in, you know what direction you're going? Down, down, down. You're going to corrupt yourself. You're going to mess something up if you stick your own ideas where God told you how to do it. And then lastly, they said, verse 25, they reviled God. They worshiped themselves. I wonder, are you looking for likes more than the Lord? I mean, do you love your selfie? More than the Savior? I mean, listen, if you're a selfie person, I love you. I know you went to the Eiffel Tower, you took a selfie with your dog. That's all exciting. But man, if it's just pictures of you taking pictures of you, that is weird. That's just weird, man. If you just got camera rolls of yourself just taking pictures of yourself ad nauseum, that is not the Spirit of God. That is a spirit of self. That is that narcissistic spirit that is just worshiping the creature more than the creator. And I know it's despairing to see life like that, but can you go back to John 12? Can I just turn the corner really quick here and give you a few more verses? Let me show you the second thing, and it's much quicker. I told you the first part was rough. The second part, you can just shout at other people now, not yourself. John 12, 28. So when Jesus Christ came the first time, he came to glorify God. Can I tell you... When Jesus Christ comes the second time, the Father will glorify his name again. You see John 12, 28? Watch what Jesus said in John 12, 28. Watch it carefully. He says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, first coming, and will glorify it again, second coming. You see, in response to Jesus Christ, the Father promises to glorify his name again in the future. That's why he says the word will. That's why he says the word again. The first time he came, he brought the Father glory. The second time he comes, in about five minutes, he's going to bring God a whole lot more glory. Go to Psalm 86. I'll show you a couple of verses here. Right, Just a few stops left. Psalm 86. Thank you for your kind attention today. Psalm 86. I hope you love the truth, people. I hope you never let go of the truth. 
Whoever's preaching it, hold on to the truth. Psalm 86, Psalm 86, that's what God cares about more than anything, the truth. Psalm 86, David is praying. Psalm 86, 6, the Bible says, Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall future glorify thy name. See, David prayed that all nations would come and glorify God's name. A future, future, future blessing. You know what David's prayer really is? David's prayer is the spirit of Christ in your Bible. It's the heartbeat of God in your Bible that's longing to see God's name glorified for good. Glorified forever. Glorified in the earth. Listen, if you're saved, let me get one more amen. 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 If you're saved, doesn't the new man inside of you want to see God's name glorified? Don't you want to see God get the credit he deserves? I mean, that man on Route 36 that we saw putting out that campaign signs, he must have thought so much of his candidate that he thought his candidate should run and could run the government. Don't you want to see Jesus Christ finally come and put the government upon his shoulder? Like the Bible says he's going to happen. Aren't you tired of the lies? Amen? Aren't you tired of the corruption? Aren't you tired of the unrighteousness, of all the sin, of seeing the wicked just lead the world straight into hell? Doesn't it bother you? It bothers me. How could it not vex you a little bit? And all the while, these people that are running the ship right into the iceberg, all these people are pretending that there is no God like a pack of fools. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Say, you angry? No, I'm, I'm happy. I'm going to go play laser tag later. I'll vent in laser tag. I'll shoot somebody for the glory of God. Right? I'm not angry. But there's something. Is, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's got to be inside you like, Lord, let's go. <laughs> Lord, let's, let, let's blow the horn and let's, let's do it. You know? Because, you know, iniquity just abounds. And Isaiah chapter 2. Look at the end of verse 4. A familiar verse. It says in the middle of four, um, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That verse is inscribed on uh, the, the Isaiah wall. Right, you go outside the UN, you go a little bit down the block from the United Nations, and they got that thing on the Isaiah wall. They only got, though, the latter part of the verse. I mean, maybe I need to go in there and tell the Secretary General that you've missed an important part. You know, you took it out of context, guys. And whenever you take a Bible verse out of context, you really mess up the truth that's in the verse. 
Because you got to read from verse 2 to 4 and get the whole context of that verse, the United Nations chiseled on that wall. Because then you find out in Isaiah 2, 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain, that's a kingdom, of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains because his kingdom's going to trump all the other kingdoms and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it, meaning God's kingdom, and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Oh, those dear people, they left off the context. You say, why? Because the UN does not want to glorify the God of this book. They want to bring in utopia without God. They want to bring in peace without the Prince of Peace. But can I tell you for everybody listening, and maybe one of those dear folks with those earpieces, you know, that get all the translations in the UN, maybe they'll hear this one day. There will be no peace on earth, goodwill toward men, without glory to God in the highest first. It ain't going to happen. Because there is no peace without the Prince of Peace. They can have their cabals and their secret societies and they can wear their magic underwear and try to bring in their kingdom. Guess what? My king is coming. And my king is coming. And he's going to trump all those kingdoms. And all nations are going to flow into it. And then we're going to have peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. When the right king is sitting, glorifying God's name. Go to Revelation 25. We've got a couple of stops. Hurry, hurry. Revelation, I'm sorry, Revelation 15. Some of you like, there is no Revelation 25. Very good class. Revelation 15. Revelation 15. Revelation 15. Look at verse 2. Here's a picture in heaven. You know they know that in heaven. In heaven, they're not celebrating any of the governments down here. In heaven, they're excited about God's government. They're waiting for God's government. They're waiting for Jesus to come again and glorify God's name when he sets up that righteous government. Revelation 15, 2. John writes, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass. That's that, the face of the deep up there, because there's water up there. The face of the deep is frozen, the Bible says. It's like ice when you stand up there. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, the King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Those tribulation saints in heaven, they sing all about the world, glorifying God's name in the future when Jesus Christ sets up that righteous government on earth when he comes again. See, they know in heaven that when Jesus comes again, all the nations will glorify God's name. He says right there in verse 3, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? You know, John Lennon sang that song, right? Imagine all the people, right? How about this? Instead of imagining there is no heaven like a fool and imagining there is no hell like a fool, how about this? Imagine all the people glorifying God's holy name. Can you picture that? America, bow the knee 
Russia, come here. Bow the knee. China, right? China, come on down. Bow the knee. Can you picture that? Right? What does the Bible say in Philippians 2? And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when the righteous king comes and all nations flow unto him, you know what that's going to do? That's going to be to the glory of God the Father. That's going to glorify his name, and I'm looking forward to it. Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name. You think the Father heard his request? You think he answers his prayer? He replied, I have both glorified it, Jesus Christ's first coming in earthly ministry, and will glorify it again, Jesus Christ's second coming and the establishment of his kingdom. You want to see it? You want to see it? Go to Isaiah 25. I'm going to show it to you. Isaiah 25. I'll show it to you. Let me show you this real quick. I got two stops left. I'm hurrying here. Don't worry. I know the cheese is on the pizza. I know. Isaiah 25. Let me show you the climax of the whole Bible. Let me show you the, the coup de grace, the piece de resistance, God's ultimate moment. Isaiah 25, verse 1. The writer says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. I wonder why. Let's watch. For thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And here's somebody that just saw the Savior come back and set up his kingdom and dash all the evil of the enemy. That's why he's excited in verse 1. And here he says in verse 2, For thou hast made of a city in heap, of a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city. It shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. That's a picture of all the things he's going to do to protect people in the great tribulation. And then he says in verse 5, Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place. Even the heat with the shadow of a cloud, the branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. And in this mountain, that's his kingdom, shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations, that king of terrors, that evil one that just cast his veil upon the world and kept people in bondage. How do I know that? Verse 8, he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people that's Israel shall he take away from off all the earth for the Lord has spoken it and it shall be said in that day remember that phrase in that day always second coming in that day shall it be said lo this is our God we have waited for him and he will save us This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest. 
Remember Jesus, uh, Eli talked about that verse he quoted, rest. There's the rest. Not just rest for your souls, rest for the planet. Rest for every, rest. Beating spears into plowshares and nation never learning war anymore right there. That is the climax, brethren, of all the Bible. When the father sends his son the second time. Now the climax is always the best part of the book. I've read a few books. The climax is the part of the book when the author gets the most credit. You know why? Because that's when the author turns the story around. The story's going one direction, and then he changes it, and that climax turns everything around. And I know you look at the world, and you see it going in one direction, one direction. I don't mean the band, but one direction. It's just going down, 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 down. It's getting worse and worse and worse. It gets you down, down, down. But can I tell you, when he turns it around, everybody's going to go, wow, I didn't see that coming. Ever read a book and you're just like, I don't know how this is going to end. And it's like, wow, that was a great twist. What a great turn. What a great turning point in that book or in that movie. Can I tell you something, brethren? When Jesus Christ steps out of heaven, you're going to see a world that's headed one way, turned to 180 degrees around. And everybody, including the trees, are going to clap their hands and the rocks are going to cry out and people are going to rejoice and he's going to change everything for the better. Oh, when Jesus comes again, the Father's name will be glorified like never before. You're going to go, wow. You may never have said, wow. Some of you never shouted in a church service. You're afraid your glasses are cracking, your teeth will fall out. But you know what? When he comes back and you're behind him, you're going to be screaming like Pastor Mel used to scream. Woo! He's going to be screaming, right? You're going to be riding that stallion, come behind him, and you're going to be screaming your head off. You're going to think you're at the Yankees whatever championship times a billion you'll be flipping out flipping out flipping out because they're flipping out now in heaven if i could peel back the throne room and show you all the saved people up there like our dear founding pastor mel sabaka they'd be sounding just like him just with a more beautiful voice they'd be screaming worthy is the lamb they'd be screaming it and shouting it and rejoicing because they're going you get a look at him you know it's the only re- wow knock you back It's going to knock some people back. It's going to knock the planet back when you see them. Go to 2 Thessalonians. We'll finish the 2 Thessalonians here. That's going to be glory. What a day that will be. 2 Thessalonians 1. Glad one of you are excited about it. Amen. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Amen. 2 Thessalonians 1. Listen. When the Father comes again, when he sends his son, guess what? He ain't glorifying him for three and a half years. It's going to be a thousand years into forever land. It's going to be glory forever. And you know, thinking about that guy on 36 who's putting those signs out, when you uh, work hard on a campaign, you know what often happens? You get rewarded when your candidate takes office. You play your cards right and you, you know, do that canvassing and all that work. You know what happens? Very often, you get a position of leadership if you devote yourself to the cause. Can I tell you that's how it is with God? If you make God famous now, he'll make you famous later. You make much of God and he'll make much of you. 
See, 2 Thessalonians 1 is talking about the Lord coming again. 2 Thessalonians 1, it's all over the place. It really is like God wrote the Bible, that he talks about the same thing all over the place. You just got to put it together. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, Paul writes, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. If you're going through something now, God says, just look ahead to the future. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This ain't the rapture. This is the revelation. This isn't him coming to take you home. This is him coming back with you in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When God comes back, he's going to wreck the Antichrist and all the evil. And guess what else he's going to do? When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Watch that phrase again. In that day. You see, if you believe now, you're going to come back to rule with him in that day. If you glorify God now, he'll be glorified in you in that day when he comes again. Because of that, look at verse 11. Because of that great truth, the Lord says here through Paul, wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Watch it now. Watch it. Let's put it all together. Let's bring it home. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, man, like Paul, the Holy Spirit's praying for you, saint. Take heed, saints. Come on, take heed. He says, if you glorify God now, you'll glorify him in his kingdom later. But if you deny him now, he'll deny you that reward when his kingdom comes. The only question to finish with is this. Do you think God is great enough to make him famous. If not, keep coming. I'll tell you when the next picnic is. We'll have a wonderful time. But if you're one of those people sitting there and says, you know what, God, you are great. Jesus Christ, you are great. You're worth a little bit of time and effort and love and devotion and consecration. If that's you, I mean, I, I was convicted by that guy. That guy on 36. If that man was willing to put all that time and all that effort into these silly signs, I don't even know if the person won, into these signs, he must have thought so highly of his candidate. He must have really wanted this person to govern New Jersey. He did it on a Saturday morning. If I ask you to do something on a Saturday morning, you'd think I just robbed you. Like, what? That's my day. Public ministry on a Saturday. I got stuff to do. I know. Tell me how busy you are. I'd like to hear what it's like to be busy. I don't know what it's like. But listen, I mean, it's not just public ministry. It's anything. That guy took time to put these silly signs in the ground. And some of us spend so much time to do things that are just straight up, in light of eternity, silly. They're just silly. And if that man can do that, and here's the question that's haunting me. Do you think enough of Christ to put in the time and effort to glorify God down here? Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He didn't do it to become the Son of God. He was the Son of God, but he labored to make God famous. He poured his whole life into making God famous. 
And you are a son of God. You don't work to become a son of God. God did the work already. You are a son of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Are you laboring at all to glorify God with your life? Laboring in prayer, laboring in Bible study, laboring in all these things that the Bible has. It's not just public ministry. Of course not. But just the Bible talks about being a workman. This is what really haunts me. This is what's really been bothering me. I'm just being honest with you. I don't don't think I've, I've achieved this message. But this is what's been bothering me for a few days, and I'm done. Don't worry. Am I making God as famous as others do their team or their company or a congressional candidate like this guy was doing? David Brainerd was a missionary to the Indians right in this area here in the Northeast, and he said this. He died at 29 of tuberculosis. He said, we should always look upon ourselves as God's servants placed in God's world to do his work and accordingly labor faithfully for him, not with a design to grow rich and great, but to glorify God and do all the good we possibly can. Or as John Wesley put it, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Or, as the Holy Spirit put it best, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's stand for prayer and bow our heads.